name. And as I speak this tonight, Lord, it come forth that under a mighty anointing and be a seed of truth sown into good fruit soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, that will take root, grow, and produce a wonderful harvest of eternal fruit that remains. Lord, a mighty anointing, a mighty powerful, uh, glorious presence of the Lord on this word tonight, that by the Holy Spirit, the anointing, people will be captivated to give you, Lord, their best ear, their full attention, their focus. Lord, help us and want our eyes to see and ears to hear that we can really see and hear and perceive what the Holy Spirit is speaking. And Lord, let this word go out as a mighty hammer that will break to pieces, shatter any strongholds, any lies of the evil one that will literally just destroy and annihilate those strongholds and uh, drive them away. Let your word, Lord, go out as light and truth that will shine into every dark place, wherever there's a deception, a lie, some kind of a, a counterfeit thing, that your light will come in and dispel all that deception <clears throat> and bring in truth and revelation. Lord, that your word will produce a hundredfold harvest. It will be powerful. It will be deeply planted in every life and be guarded over, that you would watch over your word. And we ask you, Lord, the Bible says that your word does not return void. It will go forth and accomplish that which you sent forth to you. So we agree, we believe, in the awesome power of your word. And we thank you, Lord, for it right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, those that have had a chance to follow along, I've been going through a series dealing with deception in these last days. Man, if you haven't heard it, I encourage you to go back. I gave in one sermon all these different points of you know, exposing in these last days, the Bible says that all these different things would happen in the last days. And it's, it'd be one thing for just one or two of those things to be going on, but you literally see all the things that the Bible says is going to be going on in the last days. You see all of it happening at one time. You can read Matthew 24 as Jesus, you know, talked about the last days and you can see how everything he predicted is beginning to unfold right before your eyes. Things that have been prophesied literally 2,000, 2,500 years ago, you're actually seeing those fulfillment of those prophecies in the day that you live. Have you really thought about that? Even Joel's prophecy about turning the moon to blood and, and the, uh, the sun to darkness before the Lord comes, you're even beginning to see some of those prophecies come to pass in the next couple of years with the blood moons and things like that. So you're there's just so much going on. It's amazing. And we know that the coming of Jesus Christ is very near. We really do. It would surprise me if we don't see his coming in your lifetime. And I talked about um, through this, the main thing I want to go back into would be regarding uh, the deception of like legalism and the deception that I talked about, about worldliness creeping into the church. That's kind of what I want to open with and how I want to go with this. The yeast of the Pharisees, Jesus said to beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, the leaven. Anybody that knows anything about cooking knows that just a little bit of yeast or leaven, just a little bit put in the dough, works its way through the whole dough. And anybody that's ever seen classic TV, I Love Lucy, you know that exactly what I'm talking about. You put too much yeast and it goes crazy. So, But a little bit of yeast, a little bit of leaven will work its way through the whole batch of dough. And so one of the things I want to say up front is that God truly hates unholy mixtures. He always has. And it's interesting because the Pharisees 
of Jesus' day knew the scriptures better than anybody else. You realize that? That the Pharisees could quote large portions of scripture by memory, it would impress you. If the Pharisees that hated Jesus were alive right now, we could somehow sit down and talk. They could quote to you large volumes of scripture word for word. They knew it. They had it memorized. I mean, they, they were... They knew the Word of God better than probably most Christians today as far as the Torah and not what they have. But I'm just saying, they knew it. But yet, even though they knew the Word, they still knew it from a very legalistic perspective. And they had false doctrines. They themselves had issues with hypocrisy where they would preach one thing and live another. Remember that? And they also had deception in their life. The Pharisees, who knew the scriptures better than anybody else, but at the same time, when they looked in the face of Jesus Christ himself, they hated him. They wanted to kill him. Isn't that crazy? But you see that today with the modern-day Pharisees and the legalistic religious people of today. You see people today that have a religious spirit about them, and they literally hate revival. They hate the move of the Spirit. They hate the things of God. And even though they may know the word from a legalistic perspective, they know it and they can quote it, they still hate uh, the works of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that weird to see that in our time? And so I want to talk a little bit about that. I opened this thing with some concerns, and I'll go back into it, about the deception and the mixture that regarding some things that are of God as far as the move of God and the supernatural, but then you also have things that are not of God that, that are beginning to be mixed in certain circles in the body of Christ. Okay? Now, I want to make it real clear. I think you would agree with me that I believe in Book of Acts Christianity. I believe the whole Bible. I've always felt that way. I, it bothers me to no end when people, they believe one thing, but they don't another. I'm not ashamed of the gifts of the Spirit. I'm not ashamed of the power of God. I'm not ashamed of the book of Acts. I don't go through the Bible with scissors and cut out what I don't like, what makes me feel uncomfortable. I've always thought that is stupid, but there's people that do that. They don't like it. They don't like certain parts of the Scriptures. So I believe all of the Bible. And when you believe all the Bible, you've got to learn to test the spirits. And you've got to learn to understand that God is a supernatural God, and He moves in supernatural power. Amen? And people that don't know the power of God, I feel sorry for them. We need the power of God. Jesus taught us in John 14 through 16, he talked about, I'm going away, I'm sending the Comforter, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Wait in Jerusalem in Luke 24, 49. Wait there till you're endued, you're clothed with power. You need that power. We've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's people that have a powerless Christianity. And when it comes time where they need the power of God, it's not available because they haven't accepted it in their life. So I love the power of God. I love the book of Acts Christianity where there's healings and there's miracles. There's, there's people that are being delivered of the demonic. I've seen a lot of that. I've seen a lot of healings. There's people that, that are, um, the power of God is sweeping through a place and people getting hit by the power, falling out, weeping, laughing. I love all that. And that's, that's totally of God. But at the same time, Satan has brought in counterfeits sometimes to certain things. And you've got to be careful because... Just like this, it says seeds can be sown that begin to work and begin to grow up like tares among the wheat. You remember the parable where Jesus said that an enemy snuck in at night and sowed tares among the wheat? And that's, that's the deceptive thing. 
the power of God is real, and the move of the Holy Spirit's real, and you have the gifts of the Spirit, and you have all of that, and it's wonderful, it's all biblical, it's, it's, it's there. If you don't believe in it, then you just need to read your Bible, man. But it's there. But then you also have Satan who's always trying to bring in a counterfeit. Tears among the wheat. To bring deception, that mixture. Satan loves to, to see something that's holy and it's of God. And then he loves to come in and sow tears into that and sow some deception and some mixture and bring this unholy mixture thing together to deceive people. And the only way that you're going to be protected from that in these last days is that you have got to be willing to know the Bible for yourself. How many times have I said that one in this series? You've got to know it for yourself. You can't ride your mommy and daddy's knowledge of the scriptures. It's not going to be enough for you. You can't ride your pastors. You can't ride your spouses. You've got to know the Bible for yourself, and you're going to have to bring everything under um, the authority of the Scriptures. Number two, you're going to have to learn to test the spirits. First John talks about that. I believe First John four one says to test the spirits. You've got to know if the spirit that's going on is of God or not. And the only way that you're going to know that is to get developed in the things of the Spirit. Like for example, they tell bank tellers to. To not focus on the counterfeit, but focus on the real. And they'll sit there and keep focusing on the real. And then when a counterfeit comes, they can spot it because they've learned, they've gotten familiar with the real. You've got to get familiar with the real. Unfortunately, there's people that aren't even familiar with the real. So how are they going to know if there's a counterfeit? They don't even know what the real is. Does this make sense? So I've, this is a recap from some things. But I've gone through all of this, through this series. Um, but let me give you examples of mixture. Leviticus 19, 19 says a really interesting scripture. God said to the children of Israel, keep my decrees. He said, do not mate different kinds of animals. And he said, do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. And do not wear clothing woven with two kinds of material. Now, I understand this is Old Testament or the law, but I want you to think about this. The message sent there is, is that God hates that mixture. Are y'all seeing this? He doesn't want a mixture of stuff that's of him and stuff that's not him. He wants it pure. And you can take, for example, a horse and a donkey. And you can breed them. What do you get? You get a mule, and a mule is sterile. It can't reproduce. When you have this unholy mixture start coming in, it brings sterility and death doesn't it? See, the children of Israel would worship God, but they also would worship idols. And that brought in a sterility into their midst. It brought in death, and it opened up the door for the devil to come in and bring destruction. So, we've got to test these things. We've got to be wise. We've got to know what's of God and what isn't. Again, as I've said through this whole thing, we've got to know the Bible for ourselves. We've got to develop a prayer life and spend time with the Lord and know the Lord for ourselves. You can't ride somebody else's prayer life. You're going to have to seek the Lord and find Him for yourself in the secret place. And another thing, you're going to have to get to know the Holy Spirit for yourself. What's sad is that that's a foreign concept to a lot of Christians. God the Father is in heaven. Jesus is at His right hand. Jesus is coming back, but He's not here physically right now. The person that lives in you and is with you is the Holy Spirit. Does everybody understand that? And the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit will lead you. He will guide you. He'll lead you into all truth. He'll teach you all things. He'll remind you of things I've taught you, Jesus said. He'll, 
because he'll show you things to come. The Holy Spirit will show you things that's futuristic, maybe to warn you. But he will be the one that guides you. You've got to get to know him as a person. That's why Paul said in his very last thing he said to the Corinthian church, he said, may the um, love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The fellowship of the Spirit. So when you spend time in prayer, you get to know the Holy Spirit. And you understand, you know his presence, you know his leading. And you get to know the word of God. And you're becoming mature and stable in the things of God. And now you can begin to sift between what is of God and what isn't. There's some really wonderful things out there in the body of Christ, but there's some things that just are not of God. They're just not. And the body of Christ, I'm, I'm concerned that many don't know the difference. Okay? All right. There's certain buzzwords right now, like being relevant, seeker-friendly, things like that, that sound really good, though. And I'm not against the words because there's probably some truth to those things. But if you take, I love this, I heard a preacher say this. He said, if you'll take the lid off some of these buzzwords and you really look down into them, he said, you'll see maggots of deception crawling around in them. And that's the truth. Because really what, to, to a lot of people, what relevant, seeker-friendly means is to become more and more worldly. That's what it means to them. And to conform more and more to the world. But we need to be the opposite of the all right, so just recapping on this, we've talked a lot about the deception. And let me give you a few stories I wanted to get on the recordings because I don't believe that I got these on the recordings, but I did mention some of these. But let me just give you some stories of deception. Now, John Kilpatrick um, had a crazy story. He said that before the Brownsville revival broke out, he had a couple of things. One is that God was trying to teach him between the real and the false. And you've got to know the difference. Because the Bible says that Satan comes as an angel of light. And he came to Muhammad as an angel of light, didn't he? Which produced a, a horrible false religion. He came to Joseph Smith as an angel of light. These people really had some kind of angelic encounter. And Joseph Smith, of course, birthed the, the Mormon church and, and um, their Book of Mormon. And these angels of light that come, not all of them are of God. Are you following? And you've got to know the difference between what's of God and what isn't. And John Kilpatrick told this story. He said, for him to have the Brownsville Revival, where four million people came through the church, all these people got saved. I believe at least a million gave their lives to the Lord, in my opinion. And all these people's lives changed, major move of God. You have to have some discernment. And he was saying that there was a time that he was uh, by himself alone with the Lord. And all of a sudden, he said, in walked this being. And he said, in every possible way, it looked exactly like Jesus. Sandals, the robe. Everything about this being looked exactly like Jesus Christ. And it shocked him. It caught him off guard. And he thought it was Jesus. And so what do you do? He was about to just kind of bow his head down and worship the Lord. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, no, get up. Look at his hands and his feet. And, and it jolted him. And he looked at this thing and there was no scars. But anyway, he said, in Jesus' name, I command you to get out of here. And that thing turned and ran. The whole time, that was not Jesus. That was a, a false spirit trying to deceive him. Now, what would have happened if he really would have worshipped that thing and talked about that? Think about that for a minute. If he really thought that was Jesus and he worshipped that thing and talked to that thing, what would have happened? He would have opened himself up to the demonic realm. And there would have been an, a counterfeit, unholy mixture that would have come into his life. And it would have messed him up. 
probably affected his family and certainly affected the church. So you've got to have discernment. And not only that, um, before Brownsville broke out, that great revival, that great move of God that everybody knows about, there was another experience where he had had somebody come preach. Now, at this time, Rodney Howard Brown's ministry was just really going strong. It's an awesome ministry. I love him. The Toronto revival had broken out, was going really powerful, and still is today. But at this time, it was very, very intense, and especially with the laughter and the joy. And that's wonderful. It's of God. So on somebody's recommendation, he had this guy come in to preach. And he told the guy at the beginning, he said, look, I don't know you. So at the end of it, don't pray for people. Just give me the mic, and I'll leave the altar time, okay? Because we don't want just anybody laying hands on people. Amen. All right, so the guy got up and started preaching, and it seemed good, but he had brought this huge group of people with him, like 20 people. And they were all there kind of on the front row, and they, they were amening, amening him and all that, and that was fine. But Pastor Kilpatrick said they were kind of laughing at themselves, but it was weird. I mean, there's the joy of the Lord that many of you have experienced. That's of God's wonderful. I love the joy. But this, he said, just seemed weird to him. It seemed off. And he said the guy was preaching, and he did really good as far as preaching the Word. And then at the end of it, instead of giving the mic back to Pastor Kilpatrick like he's supposed to, he said, quick, whoever wants a touch from God, run down here. And he ran down and, you know, whacked some lady or whatever. And, and I believe in falling out, but it, the way it was described, he was like hitting people, which is weird. Anyway, so Pastor Kilpatrick grabbed, grabbed a microphone and said for the ushers to sweep the aisles, get them out. And so they went through there and sweeped the aisles and got all those people out. Those people got outside. They were talking about throwing rocks at the church, you know. And um, But Pastor Kilpatrick said this statement. He said that was a counterfeit. And he said, "If what would have happened, I want you to think about it, what would have happened to him and to that church if he would have embraced that? I want you to stop for a minute and really think about that. What would have happened to him and the church if he would have embraced that counterfeit? What type of a spirit would have come into that church? What type of weird control, what type of counterfeit would have slithered in that church, possibly made it to where they missed the genuine move of God, which happened a short time after that when Steve Hill came on Father's Day in 95. They could have missed that move of God because of accepting a counterfeit. Are you starting to see how serious this is? If he would have embraced these counterfeit things in his life and in that church, it would have brought stuff that was of God for sure, but it would have brought in stuff that was not of God, and it would have formed this mixture, and it would have produced death and sterility. One of the things that really concerns people in our nation right now is that for, for a long time, farmland, they've been actually trying to take seed and do things to the seed to make it produce even more, but they're concerned that this mixture that they're doing with our seed is going to produce blight, which is where it will grow up and it'll look good, but it won't produce fruit. It's kind of like what I was talking about with the mule. You start bringing two things together and it produces sterility. So in other words, by messing with the seed and mixing things into the seed that God didn't put there, didn't intend to be there, it could actually produce a harvest that is fruitless. another story that I heard, this incredible large church, powerful man of God, loving deeply. And he said that there was a, this was a big enough church to where it was hard to keep track of every little thing. But there was a woman that was praying for people. 
and people were lining up in the church, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with praying for people. She was prophesying over people. Nothing wrong with prophesying. I believe in the prophet. But he said he had a funny feeling in his spirit. Now, this is a man of prayer. And so because he's a man of prayer and a man of the spirit, he knew on the inside something was off. How many of you guys have ever felt that? You've been around something, you're like, something's not right. All right. He had that feeling like a red flag on the inside. And he goes home and prays about it. And the Lord told him, said, that's not of me, it's a familiar spirit. Which a familiar spirit is, is a demonic thing. So he came back and told the woman, listen, I want you to quit. You're not going to be prophesying, praying over people anymore. The Lord said it's a familiar spirit. Now you would think that the woman would be like, thank you so much for telling me that. Um, help me get free from this. But like most people do, instead of appreciating that, she got mad at the pastor and left and went somewhere else probably doing the same thing. But you got to understand, if that pastor had allowed that to continue, it would have been like Paul and Barnabas whenever they were going to prayer and that woman that had that python spirit, remember in Acts chapter 7 or something? I don't remember where it is exactly, but verse 17. She was prophesying behind, she was following Paul and Barnabas. This is in your Bible, if you've read the book of Acts. And shouting at the top of her voice, these men are servants of the Most High God telling you how to be saved. That sounds good. Wouldn't you think that that sounds good? But the Bible says that she had a spirit of divination. She was a fortune teller. And she had that she was a slave girl. And her owners used her to read palms and crystal balls and tell fortunes. And they made a lot of money. And so this woman's following Paul and Barnabas, shouting that at the top of her lungs. These are men of God. They're telling you how to be saved. But yet the whole time it was another spirit. And Paul probably, it says he waited a few days. He's probably making sure if it was of God or not. He felt the spirit it was not of God. And he turned around and commanded that demon to come out of her. She falls on the ground. The demon comes out. Now the owners are mad because she's not making money anymore. But what would have, here's the question. What would have happened to Paul and Barnabas' ministry had they brought her in? Like some churches nowadays do things like this. They don't realize they're doing it, but they're bringing stuff in that's not of God. And they brought her into their ministry and thought it was of God and let her, quote, prophesy and operate. What, what would have happened to their ministry? What would have come in? There was what was of God, but now there's a mixture of something that's demonic coming together and it would produce sterility and death in Paul and Barnabas' ministry. It's exactly what would the miracles would have dried up. They would have started dealing with weird stuff in their life. Amen? What's happening in certain churches now where there's mainline denominations that some of these churches that are in these denominations are having to leave because their denomination now is denying the faith. They no longer believe that Jesus Christ is the way to be saved. They no longer believe that he's the only way to be saved. They think that there's other roads to God. You're talking about deception. And they're having to leave their denomination to take a stand for truth. But what would happen if they tried to stay with something like that? And not only that, but let me say this. There's, there was a mainline denomination that had a major split because they started embracing homosexuality and homosexuality in the clergy. What type of a perverse demonic spirit would come into a church where the pastor was a practicing homosexual. Or a denomination. You have to pull away from these things. Because if you're allowing it in, you're allowing 
what was of God that was there. Now you're allowing perverse spirits and it's a mixture that's going to produce death and sterility. And that's just the way it is. Or the same thing with abortion. And you know what's sad is now you have Satan has so deceived so many Americans. You've got people in the church that are now sympathetic toward things that God hates with a passion. Sympathetic toward abortion. God hates the murder, the shedding of innocent blood. He hates it. And it's brought judgment on this nation. Probably more to come. And and the homosexuality and the other sexual perversions. I'm just talking about that. And all the different things that, that the world is all into. And the church has allowed some of this stuff to creep in. The church has got to draw a line in the sand and say, no matter what, I'm going to adhere to the word of God. I'm going to believe the Bible, and I'm going to go after God with all my heart. I'm going to take a stand for truth, even if i got to go alone. People have got to get that type of spirit about it, that there's a boldness. Remember in the Bible, Peter and John, remember that they were persecuted for preaching the truth. And I'll tell you something else that really concerns me. And some of you might be in college or whatever, but there's been a real problem with people that have grown up in church their whole lives now. And... They grew up in church. They heard the word their whole life. And then they went to college. And they had some heathen professor that thinks he's smarter than God. And he's not. And he gets up there and he mocks and makes fun of Christians and mocks the Bible and tries to discredit their faith. And many of them don't have the strength spiritually and give it a little bit of time. Now, they don't think there's anything wrong with abortion. Now, they don't think there's anything wrong with homosexuality. Now that they're questioning the Bible, now they're questioning God, and they're getting all weird in their beliefs. Listen, you've got to get established, okay? You've got to get established in the Word of God. And I'll tell you something else. Paul said that by the power, the demonstration of the power of the Spirit, he said, I come to you in the power of the Spirit, the demonstration of that power, so that your faith will rest in God. If you're just believing because your mom and daddy believe, it's not going to work. You've got to believe for yourself. You got to know the word for yourself. You got to believe. You got to have a commitment for yourself, not be one of these spineless little wimpy Christians that are one way on Sunday, another way on Monday. They're, they don't know what they believe. They're confused. Get in the word, man, and get get in a place where God's moving. And I talked about you know how my daughter grew up, and she has seen over the years she has experienced the power of God touch her over and over. But she has seen people healed. She has seen people delivered of demons. She has seen the power of God. How can you not believe? That's why Paul said that I come in the demonstration of the Spirit's power because your faith rests in the power of God. But you've got people that are growing up in dead churches where they don't ever see true Christianity. Did you know there's true biblical Christianity and then there's American Christianity? True biblical Christianity is what you read in the Bible is happening now. The sick are being healed. People are being delivered. People are getting hit by the power of God. The gifts of the Spirit are in operation. That's true biblical Christianity. And when people grow up around that and they experience that for themselves, that there's nothing that somebody's going to say to them that's going to deter them. But see, the problem is, is that a lot of people have never truly been born again, born of the Spirit, had a true conversion. They've never experienced that. And it's all intellectual. They think, oh, well, you know, my parents were Christian. I grew up around Christianity, so any, many, many, mo, I pick Christianity. That's my little religion. That's, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with God that was lost because of sin. We were on our way to hell. God loved us. 
now we're being born again and we have a relationship, a relationship. That the relationship means that you spend time with the Lord. He talks to you. Okay, you're born again, but you're born again what? To have fellowship with God. But see, people, you ask a lot of Christians today, say, well, if you're truly a Christian, then what's God been speaking to They can't answer the question. This is good. It's strong. It's strong. Medicine. You ask them, what's, what's Jesus been speaking to you then if you're saved? Because the Bible says, my sheep know my voice. You know, we're supposed to be walking with him. And they say, well, I'm a Christian. I say, okay, well, do you live a righteous life before God? Or are you going out, getting drunk and partying, living in sin, sleeping around, et cetera, et cetera? Well, okay, if you're truly a Christian, you don't want those things anymore. So the problem is, is you've got a lot of people that have never been born again. They're never really truly converted. Because once you're truly converted, you're a different person. The Bible says old things pass away everything. Everybody say everything. Everything becomes new. How many have experienced that? Everything becomes new. You don't see things the same. You don't feel the same. You're different. You don't want the sin anymore. All of a sudden it doesn't appeal to you. You change. And God begins to change you as a person. And the Bible warns that in the last days there would be great deception. That many that believed to be Christians would fall away from the faith. And the Bible says this in 1 Timothy 4.1, that people would believe deceiving spirits. It says that in the Bible, 1 Timothy 4.1, you need to read it. In the last days, people would believe and listen to deceiving spirits and things that were taught by demons, doctrines of demons. That's what, Jesus, uh, that's what Paul said. And Jesus warned us in Matthew 24, verse 1, that there would be great deception. So what you're dealing with today is you're dealing with great deception in the earth. Great deception. I used to think to myself years ago, how could people be so messed up that they would take a mark of the beast? That they, that they would hear about these things in the Bible and, and they would still be so goofy to do them. I used to think, surely there would be some great deception. But you're not only dealing with great deception, you're dealing with great rebellion. I think there's going to be people out there that take the mark like spitting in the face of God because they hate him. All right. Let me give you a couple things. Number one, just to kind of lay some foundation about dominionism. Because as the ministry, we're doing the church plans, the ministry grows, we gain a bunch of new people. And God starts building the house, we've got to have a good foundation. Amen? We've got to have some groundwork laid. We've got to make sure we know what we believe. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? So this is the time to look over this for yourself and see where I stand and all that. But we've got to have unity about what we believe. I worked for a pastor for a short time that would not deal with this stuff. The church grew, and he, um, he had people coming in, and some of them came in from a Baptist background, and they did not like the tongues. I love tongues. I'm not ashamed of tongues. And... They didn't like it because they were Baptists and they were taught false doctrine and stuff. And so when they came in, they, you know, in the Sunday school area where the education department was, there were people that were having these debates and these problems. And it came to the pastor, and the pastor's in a church that's Pentecostal. He's a Pentecostal preacher, and he should have got up and dealt with it, but he never, he was really passive about all that. He never would deal with it. And there was a lot of problems in the church because of that. Are y'all hearing me? From the pulpit, it needs to be dealt with. This is what we believe. 
This is what we don't believe. Okay. Dominionism. Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. This is actually pretty prevalent, in, at least in, to some degree, in a lot of teaching out there. And the reason why there's some of the really false teaching that's going on is because it's rooted in some of this right here. But dominionism theology believes, it's called kingdom now theology, it believes that man is commissioned to bring the entire world under the dominion of Christianity by force if necessary. Doesn't that sound like Islam? And then hand over the Christianized world to Jesus when he comes. That's, that's pretty goofy, but there's a lot of people that believe along these lines. Okay? And their theology is basically this, that God gave Adam dominion over the earth, which he did. Satan stole that dominion. Jesus defeated the devil to take the dominion back, which that's all true. But then he gave, this is where they get off right here. He then gave dominion back to believers to, well, they're looking at it from a take over the world the church must gain control of the earth's government and social institutions to establish the kingdom of God on earth. Then and only then will Jesus come. Well, there's so many reasons that's wrong, but let me just point this out. If that was true, then why in the world would the battle of Armageddon even take place in the first place? It would there can, Because when Jesus comes to the battle of Armageddon, he's coming to destroy all these nations the Bible says and you need to read the word all all nations all of them are going to be coming down on Israel to destroy Israel when Jesus comes it says that in the Bible if this teaching was true which it's not then all of the nations would be Christianized yeah and so if they're all Christianized and everybody's a Christian everybody's a believer then they're going to be fine with Israel and they're not going to be sending all the armies of the world to come down and destroy Israel. And Jesus having to come in and destroy all of them. If it was all Christianized, why would Jesus come in and slaughter all them? They'd all be Christians. You see what I'm saying? If this was true, then how would the world be deceived by the Antichrist and all these people taking a mark? How would that even happen if the whole world is Christianized? It doesn't even make any sense at all. What they're confusing is, they're confusing the fact that God made promises to the nation of Israel. Jesus is the son of David. When he comes back, he will rule and reign when he comes back. That's what they're confusing. They're confusing that with the church right now. The church, the kingdom that we operate in, is a spiritual kingdom. You understand that? It has to do with apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and it has to do with church government. And it's a spiritual kingdom that brings the power of God in the earth to see souls saved, to see the sick healed, to see those that are bound delivered, and to advance a spiritual kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. It's a spiritual kingdom. That's why when Jesus came into a place, he said the kingdom of God is upon you because he was walking in a spiritual kingdom. But he told them, my kingdom is not of this world. But when he comes back at the end to rule and reign and his feet touch the Mount of Olives, he does come to take over, and it will be by force. Okay? But see, a lot of the false teaching that's going on is rooted in this. This goes back to, if I understand it correctly, Calvin, and it goes back to some seeds. That's what I'm telling you about a little bit of yeast works through the whole dough. You get people that let, lived hundreds of years ago that taught little seeds 
and it's like tares among the wheat, and over time, it worked its way into the body of Christ, like yeast would into the dough. And now you've got people that don't know the word for themselves very well, and they're teaching a lot of things along these lines. But I'm about advancing the spiritual kingdom of God. Amen? We're, we're here to minister the kingdom of God. It's a spiritual kingdom. We're not here to try to take over the governments. Now understand God may anoint and use people, and he may raise somebody up to be a good godly leader. That's great, man. Wonderful. I love that. I hope that happens. I hope we have a lot of godly leaders in there. But the church is called, it's a spiritual kingdom. If you don't understand that, you need to get a real good grasp of that. Because the promises of God concerning Israel will one day take place when Jesus rules the earth through Israel out of Jerusalem, not now through the church. Two different things. They've got them confused. And they're spending their, their time trying to, to fight and pray their way. You know, some of them are praying. Let me put it this way. There's things in the Bible that are going to happen whether they pray against them or they pray for them. It said it in the Bible. It will happen. Period. They're not going to alter it. Does that make sense? So they're trying to pray, earnestly pray, focus all their prayers about changing secular nations like their government. And I believe in godly leaders, and the Bible says to pray that way, but they're putting all of this focus in the fact that we've got to bring Christianity into the government. We've got to take over this nation. That's ridiculous, man. Listen, we're, we're supposed to be winning the lost and seeing the kingdom of God in a spiritual sense go forth. And you know what? If you'll do it the way the Bible says to do it, and you'll see revival, and you'll see like Wales. Let, let's use Wales as a good example. The revival broke out in Wales out of Moriah Chapel. It has such a profound impact because so many people were getting saved. When you've got a nation by the hundreds of thousands getting saved, guess what happens? All of a sudden, they're voting different. All of a sudden now, there's so many Christians that they're voting godly leadership in. And the nation's affected that way. That way. Not by trying to in enforce it up there and then demand it down on everybody else. Alright. That's the difference between a spiritual kingdom and trying to bring this dominionism. Because the dominionism is a takeover mentality. But the spiritual kingdom is, let's see revival and let Jesus change the hearts of people. And then they'll start changing the nation that way. Okay? All right, then you've got another goofy doctrine that I'm going to spend very little time on because I don't believe any of you believe it. So I'm just going to mention it in passing, okay? But it's called the cessation doctrine. And what it is, First Timothy 4.1, the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful, seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. The false doctrine that the supernatural gifts, this is what they believe, cessationists believe that the supernatural gifts, the work of the Holy Spirit, ceased with the first apostles in the early church. In other words, Jesus gave it to the twelve disciples, and when they died, it went down into the ground with them, never to rise again. Okay, that's what they believe. It died. I don't think any of you believe that, but this is the scripture. This is a classic example of why I'm telling you. Now, this series I'm doing is a little bit different for me. Okay, because I'm dealing with some of this stuff, but I've got to lay a foundation for you guys for where we're going. Okay? First, this is why I tell you that you cannot take 
one little scripture out of context and make it say what you want it to say. This is a classic example. What does 1 Corinthians 13 talk about? Love. Read the whole thing. It's about love. It's not about the gifts ceasing. <laughs> okay? And you've got, this is the irony of the whole thing. You've got 1 Corinthians 12 all about the gifts at work in the church, not in the apostles, in the church. And then you've got the love chapter. And then you've got 1 Corinthians 14 right after it, which also deals with tongues and the gifts. And they take one little scripture out of context, out of 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And they take that one scripture out of context and make a doctrine out of it. And the goofy thing is, is right before it and right after it, it's talking about tongues and the gifts. Okay, this scripture is talking about when Jesus comes on the earth and when the millennial reign, there's things that just won't be necessary at that time. Things will pass away. And you know what the irony is? They believe that the prophecies will cease. They believe the tongues have ceased. It also says knowledge. So has their knowledge ceased? I mean, if you're going to read this and read the whole thing. <laughs> but anyway, people have got to make excuses for their powerless Christianity. And here's the thing. If you're not seeing the power of God, then instead of making a doctrine about it, why not pray and seek God for the power of God to come? Amen? All right. They believe that the Holy Spirit's purpose in imparting spiritual gifts has expired, etc., etc. You can read about it. All right, let me shift gears. I'm going to start closing. The Temple Mount. All right, the prophecies regarding Israel. Remember I told you it started with the land of Israel. That was where the battle was. But Israel took the land because the Bible says they would. Satan fought it tooth and nail, didn't he? Then it became about Jerusalem. But Israel took Jerusalem, and there's still been some fights about that to this day. But you're going to see it shift from not just being about Jerusalem to being about the Temple Mount. And the reason why it moved from the land to Jerusalem to the Temple Mount is because the Bible says that when Jesus comes, he's coming back to that temple. And Satan wants to do everything he can to stop the coming of Jesus. He's not going to be able to. And at that temple mound, it's interesting because at the temple mound, you're one day the Bible says that the Antichrist will sit in that temple and declare himself to be God. And in that same temple also, Jesus will come back after that, throw the Antichrist into the lake of fire, and he's going to sit in that temple and he will be God. But you know what the interesting thing about this? A lot of people don't know this. But when Jesus came, the Jewish people didn't accept him. And he said to them, he said, you didn't accept me, but you'll accept another. And he was talking about the Antichrist. When the Antichrist comes, most people believe he's going to be Jewish. When he comes, the Jewish people will accept him. Isn't that weird? Now listen to this. As soon as they accept him and they sign a peace treaty with him, remember they rejected Christ. But when they accept him and sign that peace treaty... It sets in motion the days of Jacob's trouble. It sets in motion the tribulation. And literally, it's like a time clock starts. And that same Antichrist that they accepted, remember they rejected Jesus, the same Antichrist they accepted, that false Messiah, three and a half years later, will set himself up in the temple and declare himself to be God. And when they, whoa, you're not God, when they revolt against that, the Bible says he's going to unleash his fury just like Hitler did and try to slaughter every single one. 
it's sad, but it's a judgment, really. It's when 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 Israel rejected Jesus when he came, it was only a what a few years later, thirty three to seventy, seventy AD, that the Romans came in and destroyed Israel and scattered. Whenever they accept the Antichrist and they sign that peace treaty and accept him, it's another judgment. But God loves Israel. And he's gonna he's gonna be with them and he's gonna see them through it. And um, once the Antichrist turns on the Jews like that, his days are done. And there's a counting down from that point. He's got to sit in the temple and declare himself to be God because the Bible says it will happen. But once he does that and he turns on those Jews, all of a sudden the time, the time clock is clicking where he's about to be in the lake of fire. Amen? All right. So as the conflict between Israel and her enemies escalates, your stand will increasingly become more, I mean, less about Israel and more about Jesus. Today, the Temple Mount serves as a threshing floor, no less than it did when David bought it 3,000 years ago. This dry and dusty hilltop sifts the souls of nations through their contest for its control. You remember me telling you last week about the sheep and goat nations. When Jesus comes back, he's going to gather the nations, and the way they treated Israel uh, will determine whether or not they're going to go into eternal punishment, or they're going to be with him. But there's going to be a shifting, remember? The sheep and goat nations. He's going to separate them. But it has to do with this. And the Temple Mount will prove, this is interesting, it's going to be the consummate testing ground, the place where the Messiah and the anti-Messiah, the Antichrist, and the followers of both will someday be exposed. Isn't that interesting? One day the Antichrist and his followers will be exposed through that Temple Mount. And one day Jesus Christ and his followers will also be made known. I want to give you two more things and close. We'll pray with people tonight. Is this helping anybody? This whole series, I mean, I, I, a lot of it, if you didn't hear the first two or three sermons, a lot of this may seem a little jumbled up, but it's just going back over a lot of things we've already talked about in more depth. You know, back then we went real deep. I'm just touching on it now. But I'm going to give you this. Um, see, I don't have time to go back into all this. So if you missed the first couple sermons where it talked about how God put the stars and the sun and the moon as signs in the heavens and, and how there's predictions throughout the Bible about these things, I don't have time to get back into all that. But just remember this to make it real simple. Whenever Jesus came on the earth, remember there was a star, a literal physical star, that appeared over Bethlehem. Okay, it was a physical star. It wasn't a vision. The, the men from the east, the wise men, didn't see a vision. They saw a physical star. Okay, And so God said in Genesis that he puts those things up there as a sign. And interesting that some of the Hebrew talks about it being a... a uh, it's, it can be translated feast or festivals, and it's interesting because when you see that God is God is speaking through the heavens. I'm trying to make it as simple as I can. He's using things he said he would that will speak through the heavens, and he said in the last days that he would turn the moon to blood and the sun to darkness before the coming of the Lord. I've already been through all this. Okay, so let me give you some ways that God operates because I want you to see how to discern the times and seasons of the Lord. You remember when Jesus was here, he rebuked the Jews. He told them, look, you know how to tell when it's about to be fall or spring. You know how to discern the natural seasons. You can tell when it's going to rain, but you can't discern the spiritual seasons. They missed the day of their visitation. There was Jesus Christ right there, and they missed the day of their visitation. 
because they didn't discern the spiritual seasons. All right. Let me go real quickly through this. We talked about the blood moons. All right. When these things have fallen on feast days, it has been very significant. And the Bible said God would turn the moon to blood. There's not animals up there. So how is the moon turned to blood? It's, it's through those eclipses, the lunar eclipse. It's not something where there's actual blood. Okay. So when it's fallen on feast days, it's very significant. And the fact that in 2014 and 15, it's going to have four blood moons fall on feast days. The same feast days. And not only that, it has the solar eclipses are happening on significant Jewish days. It's significant. And in the past, when this has happened, it happened in 1492. In Israel, the Jewish people were driven out of Spain. And at the same time that they were being driven out of Spain, remember, God was preparing a safe place for them in America. It was very significant. It began with tragedy, but ended in triumph. Okay, when that happened, also, it happened again in 1948. You had four blood moons that fell on feast days. When it happened in 1948, the nation of Israel uh, was birthed. It became a nation. Now, they, they had to do it through warfare, so it began again with tragedy, but ended in triumph. They became a nation. And the Bible says, can a nation be born in a day? It was. All right, then it happened again in 1967. They, they had to fight. Uh, the nations came down on them, and they had to fight, but they took Jerusalem. All right, so it began with tragedy, ended in triumph. This has happened significantly when the blood moons have fallen on feast days. You've got to know, if you don't know about these things, you really don't know about end-time prophecy, and you need to read it. You need to study it, okay? And if you don't know about the feast days, you really don't know about end-time prophecy. So, anyway, and so the lunar eclipses have to do with Israel. The solar eclipses have to do with the Gentiles. But it's happening the next two years. You're going to see this unfold. And the book of Joel, and then it's reiterated in the book of Acts, says that before the coming of the Lord, I will turn the moon to blood and the sun to darkness. That's the full lunar eclipse is the blood moon, and the solar eclipse is the, the sun turned to darkness. Okay? And so, with that said, just when you look at the historical patterns, there's probably going to be something that begins in tragedy but ends in triumph for Israel. And then I talked to you about the, the year of Jubilee. Remember? The year of Jubilee fell in 19, or 1917, and General Allenby took the land. Then it happened again on 1967, and Israel took Jerusalem. We're about to see another jubilee in 2017, and something's going to happen. There's something significant. And then you have, and I've given you this over a period of time. Okay, I'm sorry if this is flying with people's heads, but I don't have time to go in depth. And then I gave you the Shemitah year every seven years. Remember, the land was supposed to rest. There was a blessing on those that did it, a curse on those that didn't. It's Old Testament law. But it's a pattern. And the last Shemitah years that we saw was 2001. We had 9-11. And then 2008, Dow dropped 777 points. And so I believe it's 2015, if I'm not mistaken, that, again, there's going to be a Shemitah year. Meaning that America might go through some things for messing with Israel, as we've seen. All right, let me give you this last one. This is real interesting. All right, the Soros cycle. If you can follow me, guys, just really just follow me with this. You're going to see something deep here. I've given you the patterns. God wants us, like he told the Jews, he wants us to learn how to discern the seasons. 
I'm trying not to lose. But if you've been with me through this whole thing, you shouldn't be getting lost. You should know my point. But God gives us these in the Bible because he wants us to be able to discern the times and seasons of the Lord, what he's doing. What is he doing right now? Keep your eye on Israel because it's God's time for us. Okay? Let me give you a couple things. Um, a sorrow cycle, from what I understand, I am not an astronomer or anything, but a sorrow cycle, you've got the sun. Okay? Just look at my hands. We're gradually moving around this thing, okay? And as we get all the way, and that's how they predict the blood moons. That's how they predict all this because the scientists know how to follow this thing. And once we get all the way around and come back to that same starting point, it's called a sorrow cycle. And it takes 18 years and 11 days to go through a sorrow cycle. Okay. Now, if you'll follow me, this is really interesting. Okay. And you're going to see that we may be a lot closer to the coming of the Lord than what people realize. All right. The Jewish people have different names for months. And I know that you're probably not familiar with it, but one month, is the name of the month is Av, A-V, okay? They have an annual fast day in Judaism, which commemorates the destruction of the first and second temples in Jerusalem. Now, I want you to, to realize this. Do you remember the story when the children of Israel went into the land to spy it out, and ten, ten of the spies came back with a negative report? Remember that? That was on the ninth of all. This is, there's a reason for it. Ever since they did that, it seems like something came on that day for them. Ever since that time, they have had major, major... Tra- Look this up for yourself and you read about it because I don't want to get deep. But the ninth of all in Judaism, among the rabbis, they have a day of fasting. And it is known for calamity. They've had a lot of... They lost both their first and second temples were destroyed on the ninth of all on that day. So it's not a coincidence, and there's other things that have happened. It almost also commemorates um, when the Roman massacre happened. Okay, so let me give you this. This is interesting. The sorrow cycles that happened in the past, 1907 to 1943. What does 1907 to 1943? What does that time frame speak to you about? World War One and Two. During those two sorrow cycles that happened then, the eclipses, I'm sorry, the lunar eclipses, remember the lunar, the moon speaks of Israel. The lunar eclipses that occurred, occurred in the month of Av, and it was during a time of calamity for the Jews. You see that? So while they had this 18, two 18-year periods happening, the lunar eclipses were falling in the month of Av, and there was tragedy and calamity for Israel. Okay. Then the next um, sorrow cycle, you're seeing that in 1961, 79, 97, that that cycle was going on again, and the lunar eclipses were happening in the month of Elul, for the Jews, and you know what Elul means? It means to return. You, what does those years mark? They mark the return of the Jewish people back to their homeland. Are you following? So it's no accident that God worked all this out. How many believe that God's in control of the heavens and the earth? Okay, all right. 
So he he saw to it that, that those two sorrow cycles in the 1907 and 1943 would happen where the lunar eclipses hit and off, and he was speaking to the Jewish people at the time of calamity. Then the next sorrow cycle, he, he was making sure those lunar eclipses fell in Elul, and he was speaking to us, to all of us, that the Jews would be returning home. And they did, by the hundreds of thousands. All right, now here's the part that you're going to find interesting. In 2015, starts another sorrow cycle. Now, isn't that interesting, given that we've got all these blood moons and Jubilee and Shemitah and all this stuff happening at the same time that right there in 2015 starts another sorrow cycle. And you know what's crazy about that one? That the lunar eclipses are going to be falling in the month of Tishri. You know what the month of Tishri is? It's when they celebrate Rosh Hashanah, their new year, the blasting of the shofar. Do you know what the blasting of the shofar speaks of? It speaks of the return of Jesus Christ. That sorrow cycle will last from 2015 to 2033. Are you all seeing that? So when it fell in off, it was calamity. When it was falling in Elul, the Jewish people were returning home. But now the lunar eclipses are going to be falling in Tishri while they're blasting the shofar. And celebrating the, the return of the Lord, basically. I believe the Lord's coming is near. You see what I'm saying? All the signs are pointing to. You see, everything the Bible says about the last days in our generation right now. Everything. I don't have time to go back through it. That was last sermon. But you see the patterns. All right. So with that said, we've got to be ready for the coming of the Lord and quit playing games. Number one, we've got to get the sin out of our lives. Well, really, number one, we've got to make sure that we're truly Christians and saved. Because there's a lot of deception out there. You've got to make sure you're the real deal. Number two, you've got to get the sin out of your life. Quit playing games. There's going to be people that are here during the tribulation because they weren't really ready for the Lord's coming. They were playing games. All right, this is the last thing I want to talk about. We're going to pray. Is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All right. What has concerned me is seeing how a lot of the church, and I'm talking about, I don't blame some of the people that don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit and all that. But I do blame, and I do get a little upset with the Pentecostals and Charismatic people that have gotten so caught up with being relevant and seeker-friendly that they don't want to teach about, talk about, or pray about the baptism of the Holy Spirit anymore. They're afraid that somebody will get offended. Who cares if somebody gets offended? But the baptism in the Holy Spirit, Acts 1-8, Luke 24-49, we have got to have this clothing of power to do what we're called to do. It's a great man of God I love and respect that used to go out witnessing and he said that people wanted to beat him up. And he was a funny guy. And he was saying that his mother-in-law was baptized in the Holy Spirit, had her prayer language spoken tongue. She, she would go out and she would witness and they would cry. And so he was mad. He's like, why is it that you go out witnessing and they cry and I go out and they want to beat me up? I mean, we're saying the same thing. And... She said, you need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so he's, he was funny, man. He was, he was saying he, he went out in the woods by himself. And he, this is what he said. He said, I just went over there and hugged a tree. And he said, I'm not leaving this tree until I get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And you know what? He, he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Got his prayer language and clove of power. And then he said she was right. Because when he came back, now the power of the Holy Spirit was there. And people would cry when he would preach. You know, 
is interesting because I had a story I could illustrate this with a guy named Vern, and some of you've heard it, just bear with me. But I was home by myself, and I had to get my AC fixed, and there was an AC repair guy by the name of Vern that came out. So I'm witnessing to him, and um, he flat out tells me, he says, man, I don't want to hear it. Okay, I work with a preacher, and he's always telling me I do not want to hear it. So I knew that it was over before it started. So I was about to say, all right, man, take care of yourself. And I was about to go do some other stuff. And so, right as I'm about to say this, the power of the Holy Spirit came down. And it was suddenly, I wasn't expecting it. And Vern, who's a heathen, is sitting there, and he's kind of shaking like this. And he's crying, and his lips quivering. And he says, what's going on, man? I was like, I mean, you know, it's funny, because he's never experienced the power of God. And I said, well, Jesus is really trying to save you, Vern. He's trying real hard, man. I said, the Holy Spirit is working on you right now. And he's crying. And he's, and you know what he says to me after that? I didn't do anything. He says, what do I do to get saved? And I said, let's pray. And I led him into prayer. And he really got, he meant that. He really got saved. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that nobody can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws. That's just the way it is. What's the problem is, is that you have powerless Christianity and powerless Christians that are trying to witness and it's intellectual. You can't win that way. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. He will cut people right to the heart. And that's why on the day of Pentecost, the, Jesus told them, said, you don't go start your ministry. What did Jesus do? He went to John the Baptist. He got baptized. And after he did, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And it said after he came back from beating the devil, he came back and it says that he went out in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it says in Luke 4.18. The very first thing Jesus ever preached, ever, was he opened a scroll and he said in Luke uh, 4.18, I believe it is, it's recorded. He said, this is his first sermon. He read out of Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up and heal the brokenhearted, to, de- to deliver the captives and set those free in darkness, and to proclaim the year of the favor of the Lord. That was his first sermon. And they didn't want to hear it. But anyway, he preached that because he knew that he had to have operate and function in the power of the Holy Spirit because he's our example. Whenever he was leaving, he told his disciples, he said, Guys, do not go out doing your own thing. You go and wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power. Then you start your ministry. And I'm sure their minds started going back, Yeah, that's right, you did the same thing. You waited until the Holy Spirit came upon you. So anyway, they go back to Jerusalem. We know the story, 120 of them. They're in there praying and fasting and seeking God. And the day of Pentecost comes and they're clothed with power. So now, for the first time, the church was basically born, but they, were, they came out of that clothed in power. And Peter got up, and they were speaking in tongues, and the people were kind of astonished and looking at it. They didn't know what to do. And what does Peter do? He gets up and he starts preaching. But this is what the Bible said. While Peter was preaching, they, the Bible says they were cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit convicted their heart. And they said to Peter... What must we do to be saved? He said, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sin. Anyway, you know the story. But it was the power of the Holy Spirit that convicted them and they were cut to the heart. And you've seen it throughout history. You know the stories we read about with, you know, Wesley and Whitfield, and, you know, Susan, all these. The, the same thing. The Holy Spirit would move and convict people. We've got to have it. it, it it's not a 12-step program that's going to get people changed. You hear me? It's not. 
churches now are trying to lean on all this stuff. They, they want to um, go through these programs and stuff. Listen, I understand that, and there may be a place for some of that, but it's got to be by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's got to be the, by the power of the Word of God that people's lives are changed, not a 12-step program. And so a lot of churches have pulled back from the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but we need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They're trying to replace the anointing with entertainment. The last thing people need, especially in America, is more entertainment. And it's so dumb. But yet, that's what people have turned to. It's foolish. It's, it's stupid. They, they think that entertainment is going to change somebody? Give me a break. If entertainment would change somebody, then while they're playing their little Sony's PlayStation, they'd be all changed in love with Jesus. You know, they're entertained so much at that moment. Entertainment just did it. You know, they don't need any more entertainment. They need the Holy Spirit coming in and changing who they are and changing them from the inside. Okay? So this is a time we've got to be clothed with power for effective evangelism. The angels of the Lord, the Bible says, are going to help us in these last days bring in the harvest. We need their help. We need extra oil, as I've already talked about. Matthew 25, Jesus is filling us with extra oil to prepare us for his coming. We need the tongues to pray the will of God and be refreshed and strengthened. We need to pray in the Spirit. It helps with warfare and builds up our faith. We need the spiritual fire to not get lukewarm. What did it say? What did John say about Jesus? He said, there's somebody coming after me. I baptize in water, but there's somebody coming after me greater than I who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We need a baptism in the Holy Spirit and with fire. You know, that's what is kept. You know, there's been so many young people that's come in connection with me over the years. And you know why? It's because they get the fire of God. And they love the fire of God. That's what it is. It, the fire of God is what keeps us in love with the Lord. We need that. The Bible says His love is like a fire, doesn't it? All right, Daniel 7.25. In these last days... Satan is going to try to wear out the saints. Have you ever felt that Satan's been trying to wear you out? All right. But that's where we need this baptism of fire. We've got to get in a place where the Holy Spirit's being poured out. You know, it's interesting that in Revelation 7, it says that God commanded that the foreheads of his people be marked and sealed. Now, this is probably a reference to the tribulation time because that's a grace. But I really believe that there is a mark and a seal in the Spirit over God's people. I always believe that. Because the Bible says the Holy Spirit seals us. Isn't it interesting, it is to me anyway, that when we pray for people, most of the time we lay hands on their head and we pray for people and the anointing comes. I wonder how much of a connection there is between that and God marking us with a seal. Because the Bible says in Ephesians that the Holy Spirit seals us until the day. There is a seal. God is imparting his anointing in us to take us to a place of strength, extra oil to prepare the bride. The anointing is what teaches us. All right, so I close with that. But it's the anointing. See, I would venture to say that a lot of Christians out there, truthfully, they would not know the difference between the real and the counterfeit. And that's concerning. If there was somebody 
that was powerfully being touched by God. Maybe they're speaking in tongues, they're crying, they fall on the ground, they're laughing, whatever, and it's totally God. And then you have something over here that's a demonic manifestation, and somebody may fall on the ground or whatever. They would not know which one's of God and which one isn't. This should concern people. They wouldn't know. And just like I talked about those Mary apparitions that are happening, hopefully you understand the loving heart of a pastor. I'm trying to warn you. Okay? Because these Mary apparitions that are happening around the world, it's a demonic manifestation of this female being, this deity that's appearing. And in the scriptures, this is why, from the beginning, I've tried to tell people that you really need to be careful with some of this because some of it's of God, some of it isn't. But you can't see, for example, uh, in the Bible... When God's angels came, if you want to stick with the scriptures, if you want to get outside of that, that's your business. If you want to stick with the scriptures, when God's angels came, they were masculine and they were powerful. That's just the way it was. And the Bible refers to them as the sons of God in the Old Testament. Why? Because God created them. That's why it calls them sons, because God created them. In other words, angels don't procreate. Are you following when God put man on the earth, he made man male and female to procreate. And what's under man's dominion, under our dominion, the animals, etc., are male and female to procreate. But he didn't create angels male and female to procreate. He didn't. They were called the sons of God, masculine. Now, I know there's some scripture that talks about these stork-winged beings that carried a, what probably is the Jezebel spirit if you read it to the land of Shinar, which is Babylon, to the last days. Now, some people like to use that, say there's female, whatever. But if you hear my heart in this, I'm telling you, you better know the word for yourself. You better make sure that what you're listening to other people, that they know what they're talking about, and they're, they're backing it up with Scripture. Because if you read that one little Scripture out of context, it seems to indicate that these were demonic beings, not angels. Okay? But anyway. But you've got to be careful who you're listening to. And people may like that or hate it. I don't know. But I really don't care. I'm concerned about people's soul. And I want people to know the word. And I want you to be careful and not accept everything that's coming down the pipe. Not every teacher out there is telling you the truth. You understand that? They may think they are. They may be deceived. Not every supernatural experience out there is of God. And some people have been really open to things and have actually allowed some counterfeit in their life in the past. You better be careful. Learn from your past mistakes and don't let it happen again. Be careful who you're listening to. Make sure the one you're listening to knows where they're going, what they're talking about. Okay? We've got to be careful. Because I'm telling you, as we're going into revival and the supernatural, Satan's not going to be able to stop that. But he would love to sow tears in. He would love to bring just a little bit of yeast in that works its way through the whole batch. That's what this whole series I've been talking about is. We've got to know the word for ourselves. We've got to know how to pray. We've got to know how to discern the spirits and not accept everything. Because every person out there that may be on TV, that's preaching, that's teaching, they've got CDs, they've got DVDs, and they're, they've got a lot of good things to say, but not everything that's being said out there is the truth. You better know the word for yourself. Not every supernatural experience other people are having out there is of God. Amen? So while we've got to test the spirits, we've got to be careful. All right. 
I'm going to pray for people tonight that want prayer. And let me just encourage you to get an impartation of the anointing. First John talked about in chapter 2. He said, the anointing that is in you will teach you, will instruct you, will lead you into truth. It's that anointing in you that keeps you. I believe the anointing that's in us will help us to have discernment. you got to know the Word, but you also got to know the Spirit of God. And He'll help you discern what's of Him and what isn't. Let's go ahead and shut down recording from Zach. So, Lord, we thank you. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us, Lord, to have discernment. Help us to have wisdom.